0: Coming up on Life as a Festival.
1: BDSM is just this modern, edgy practice of Buddhism. It's taking all of the tenets of Buddhism and putting it into practice in a really modern, edgy, aggressive way. And it's learning how to let go in in all modalities. And, you know, when you see a therapist or you talk to a friend and they tell you, oh, you'll get over that. You just got to learn how to let go. And you can't just let go mentally and conceptually of things. You have to learn how to let go, I think, mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And kink allows you to have that experience where it's like hitting all parts. And I think that that's what makes kink so powerful. It's an aggressive meditation on learning how to let go.
0: Hello, my friends and fellow travelers. Welcome back to Life is a Festival. I am your host, Eamon Armstrong. Yes, this is a podcast about kink, and yes, I am releasing it on Christmas Eve. And yes, I know it is very naughty. But I had to answer a question that has been puzzling me for quite some time. Why are so many of my female friends becoming dominatrixes? Dominatrixes? Dominatrices? Professional... Doms. What, what, what is going on here? It seems that all of these groovy Burning Man women seem to be pursuing a life of sexual healing through kink. In order to ascertain some understanding of this sudden phenomenon, I went and saw an educatrix in the art of kink, Colette Pervette a professional dominatrix and the mistress of mistress class, which is an immersive journey into becoming a dominatrix. On the show, we talk about where kink comes from, whether we should ask where kink comes from. We talk about who visits a dominatrix and why. We talk about whether you could get burnt out as a pro-dom. We talk about the differences between male doms and women doms. We talk about power dynamics, kink and Buddhism, We discuss what it's like to be in one of her mistress classes. We talk about the power of a coven for teaching BDSM. And at some point in the show, it becomes apparent to me that there's a power dynamic going on in this very conversation, which was instructive to both of us. Colette is a professional dominatrix. She has over 18 years of experience combining deep practice and theoretical understanding of BDSM into an alchemical spiritual approach to kink. She has a PhD in education from UC Berkeley, and she focuses on dispelling misconceptions about kink and alternative sexuality through her teaching and writing. She is an educatrix. She instructs women and couples in the art of femdom and BDSM, guiding them to discover and wield their personal power. Her online course, Mistress Class, offers an immersive journey into becoming a dominatrix, helping hundreds of women and fems step into their full power and authority. Join me, dear listeners, on this journey into kink, where instead of asking whether we should try to heal our kinks, we instead ask, could it be that the kink might be healing us? And now, here is Colette Pervet. just as a way of kind of looping you into what I am doing here in your home. Okay. Is that I love kink. I want to learn more. And I noticed something recently, which is all of my friends are pro-doms now.
1: What? Not all
0: my friends, but like a lot of women in my life have been taking your classes. What? Yeah. And there's a whole cadre of these like burner chicks who are all prodoms now. And I came here to your home to ask you, why are all my friends prodoms now? (laughs) That's that's my starting place to talk to you on the podcast.
1: Oh, fun. I like that. I think that's a great place to start.
0: Do you have any strong desires for this conversation or any places you want to go that maybe you haven't gone on another podcast or anything that is particularly alive for you?
1: Yeah, I think I, I would like to go deeper into the philosophy part. Of kink I feel like a lot of podcasts I do they tend to kind of go to more surface level topics of kink like what's what's the strangest request you've ever gotten or what's the weirdest fetish you've ever indulged in and which is all great but I think that there's so much more to kink in uh, a deeper transformational alchemical spiritual way
0: I love the alchemical I have an alchemical relationship to kink also. Uh And I actually think the weirdest fetish someone has is not the most interesting thing you could say about kink. I actually think that's kind of a banal question in a way because it's sensational and sort of misses the point because even saying the weirdest is sort of like, that isn't what we're doing here.
1: Exactly, We're not
0: highlighting the weirdest because it isn't the weird. None of it's weird. It's all particular. It's not weird. That's the whole point.
1: Exactly. And if you highlight the extremes and I think it kind of does lend all of this to it being misinterpreted as psychopathic or, you know, psychotic.
0: And there's like a looky-loo quality to that too. It's like, what's mm-hmm. the weirdest? Do you ever get grossed out by a, something a client wants or something like that? And it's like, eh, well, there's got to be a more interesting conversation to have about kink than that. And hopefully yeah. we'll have it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not to like talk down on those conversations because they are fun in in and of themselves but I think that there's just so much more to cover just like scratching the surface of a very weird edge of kink
0: yeah I think that different conversations are interesting to different audiences Mm. and Mm. this, this audience while I don't think this audience needs a kink 101 yeah Many many listeners might not be that knowledgeable about kink per se, but these are all transformational junkies. These are all people who are pushing edges and growing their capacity for the lived experience. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of alchemy is just so important. Yeah. And I'm going to have to do something on this show, which is good for me because it's a good challenge. Talk about myself in a way that tees you up without getting indulgent. What does that there, mean? Well, there will be times where me talking about my relationship to kink is mm. meaningful for the listener and meaningful for teeing up your expertise. Oh,
1: right, right, right. Okay, but if,
0: if I'm not aware of myself, I will turn this into like a mini coaching session. So I uh, I pledge not to do that and <laughs> okay. and use my use my own experiences parsimoniously in the service of you sharing your wisdom for our audience.
1: That sounds good. Should I do something when you get there, or you'll you'll rein yourself in, and you don't need a disciplinatrix?
0: I you? think if I am actually doing that, I would be very comfortable with you putting down the mic, getting up, and just slapping me in the face. Oh
1: wow! Okay.
0: I'm not say, I'm not telling that, you you need to do that. I'm just saying that actually, given
1: me permission, you're consenting to this. I
0: consent. <laughs> if I am being indulgent, okay, and turning this podcast into a therapy session about my own relationship to kink, you have my permission to put down the mic stand up and slap me in the face. All right. And if that happens, I actually, I think that <laughs> that might make good radio. <laughs> As you, but you got to do it, you gotta, it's got to be the kind of like loud impact.
1: Right, right. It has to actually sound like a slap or otherwise, yeah. it would just seem like this yeah. weird moment I'd Be like, Why silence. is he crying? Yeah.
0: There's no, <laughs> is it like an emotional What's cry? What's going on? Why is he weeping so miserably? <laughs> <sighs> feel good? Yeah. Feel okay. grounded?
1: Yeah, I feel good.
0: This All right. Colette. Amen. Welcome to Life as a Festival.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's so nice to talk to you. And we met many years ago, and this is the first time I've seen you since the before time.
1: I know. Before time, is in before the pandemic?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> the before time. Yeah. You were a dominatrix then. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer dominatrix or pro-dom, or what's the Either. preferred nomenclature?
1: Oh. Yeah, either. Prodom, Dominatrix, Mistress, all that works. Cool.
0: Well, you were doing that at that time. Yes. And I, I actually hadn't fully connected with my kinky expression mm. at that time. It's you were dabbling for sure. I, I was I was conceptually exploring. I don't know that I uh, achieved a kind of embodied liberated oh, right, like right. expression. I don't I wasn't expressing it in the way that I later was able to.
1: Oh, I um, see.
0: So I was like, I was a little pup.
1: Wow. Time. Okay. Yeah. So you've grown and mature. I mean, yeah, we haven't seen each other in probably six, seven years. Yeah. Okay. Been,
0: been a long time. Mm-hmm. And now I get to pick your brain about something I love, which is kink. And also something that I really actually don't know very much about, which is femdoming. It's okay. not really in my wheelhouse. And so...
1: So you've never seen a pro-dom or been with the dominatrix no oh no, i see you've been have, the
0: dom yourself i have dommed others mm-hmm. but it's been interesting because recently i noticed that a lot of my female friends have become pro-doms like a handful of them <laughs> like an unexpectedly large amount yeah and every one of them has mentioned your name wow so- <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so part, part of why I came to your home in Berkeley is to ask you, why are so many of my friends becoming pro-doms right now?
1: Well, it sounds like a lot of your friends are badass bitches and witches and are healers, artists, educators. And it feels like the next natural step in exploring your power. By learning how to play with it. So I think that's what's going on. And also I think kink is becoming a little bit more mainstream just with it being really fashionable these days. And when I started 19 years ago, it was still pretty underground, but I could see the progression of it becoming more and more normalized and just, yeah, just something that seems really cool to do.
0: There's so much that I want to talk to you about. Okay, and I have so many go. questions. The best way I think to start here is to locate our audience with you okay. and have them have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Okay, When in your life yeah. were the first seeds of your future calling as a dominatrix planted? Were there moments where you, now that you look back can see the seeds of who you've become, Colette Prophet?
1: I think it started when I was three years old. And I still remember that day pretty vividly. I was at home with my mom and my sister and they were both busy doing their thing. And I had a moment with my blanket where I was like in between my legs and I was like crossing my ankles. And all of a sudden I was like, this feels amazing. What's going on? And I thought it was just this weird magical sensation whereas my imagination that something feels really good between my legs and I don't know what it is and then I just continued doing it and then I was like wow there's something going on here and then I like rolled myself into the blanket with it in between my legs and I rolled into it like I was like a little burrito and then that just kind of became the beginning of my like self-pleasure system and I did it all the time every day for hours and eventually I started to weave a lot of fantasies when I was masturbating and would play the same fantasy over and over. And it was like, me as this little girl that was on the edge of this playground and all the other kids were on the blacktop or the playground set and all of that. But I was like right at the edge where the grassy field meets the forest. And there was some quality about me that was very witchy and dark and mysterious and beautiful and there was a sense that the boys on the other side of the playground wanted to play with me but they were too afraid but then there would be every now and then a boy would cross over and I would take their hand and we would run into the forest and just I don't know just it was all giggling laughing and them falling in love with me and all of that yeah. I think that was the beginning of some seed of it was like the fantasy and the fantasy was a prophecy of what could be. And I think that's actually a metaphor for what I am doing right now. Right. I'm I play on the edge of my own playground and play space and there's only a few who are adventurous and brave enough to step into my dungeon. And I take their hand and I take them into the unknown and we explore the edges and shadows together.
0: Mm. Yeah, taking people to the edge where they are afraid to go in this witchy way.
1: Yeah. And then I guess there was also like I had a pet raven on my shoulder. There was just like lots of fantasies about me and my witchy magical qualities or something. And then I also remember probably when I was like six or seven, I saw Mousetrap. Wait, you remember the board game Mousetrap? Well, there's the commercial for it in the 80s. And in the commercial, it was like this giant life-size Mousetrap board game and the actual people were running around in it. And then the cage would drop on this one person, which was, I think, a guy. But then in my own mind, I was like, what if it was a girl? What if she was naked? What if she was tied up? And so
0: Mouse Mouse trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a kid, we used to have mental health days. My mother would take us out of school and just have a day that we could do whatever we wanted. And she called them mental health days. Wow. Yeah. Love you, mom. I had one, might have been nine or ten. Mm-hmm. We drove to Albuquerque. I'm from Santa Fe. And I bought this Dungeons and Dragons book. I was very into Dungeons and Bra- Dragons. Very nerdy. Yeah, Very nerdy kid. And I was reading, it's, it's kind of set up in this, in this town and it's like kind of the rules of the town. And there was something about if you were a rogue or a thief, you would, you know, commit crimes and there'd be various punishments. And one was being lashed in the public square.
1: Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And it is
0: the first time I felt turned on in my life. And I had no idea what I was feeling, but I just kept reading it over. And, and I, same as you, I remember it clear as day. I remember the f- whole day Yeah, we went and like roasted marshmallows in an arroyo, but I kept reading about these punishments yeah. over and over again. And I had no idea why I liked it so much. I was like, this is a weird thing to like. And I didn't, I don't even think that I thought of it as sexual, but I did feel like, what, yeah. uh, you know, my body was responding right. to this thing. What is it that is erotic to me about punishment? And why is that actually? That is my first erotic memory. I don't have any sort of like rom com <laughs> coming of age moment. I, I, was yeah. a, I was an odd little boy from the beginning.
1: Wow. Turns out.
0: Wait, how, how old were you? I feel like nine or 10. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jack Moran, the,
1: the Erotic, erotic Mind.
0: mind. Mm -hmm. So the idea of a core erotic theme that is laid down quite a bit earlier than when your sexuality actually emerges. Yeah. And that once you land on your core erotic theme and experience in the world, you tend to repeat it again and again. Mm -hmm. So I I wonder for the people listening who out there who now considers themselves kinky can think back to those formative moments where they're like, oh, why does this feel good?
1: Yeah, Think you know It always kind of goes back to this nature versus nurture. Was it something that happened? But I felt like it was like all of that stuff, anyone could be exposed to it, but it's what, what resonates with you and all of a sudden you're just like, well, there's something here. I feel something.
0: Well, and here's where we get into one of our first philosophical things mm-hmm. about kink and something that I think is so important. This idea of where kink comes from. Mm -hmm. Should we even try to figure out where it came from? How did I get kinked? Because I feel like if you're trying to figure out where it came from, part of you is trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. If I'm kinky because my dad behaved a certain way when I was a kid, then maybe I can heal that and then I won't be kinky anymore. Trying to figure it out can have a sort of problem-solving tone that may be, in fact, a kind of self-rejection for one's kinkiness.
1: I don't know. I think it's okay to think about the origins of these things and it doesn't mean that you... It's just how you like approach it. It could be just curiosity as to where it all came from and it doesn't mean that you want to like eradicate it because of knowing where the origins of it is.
0: Maybe it's more like when people who are not kinky want to have an explanation for why you are kinky right. and have it be like, well, it's trauma. Right, right, right. You know, maybe that's the thing that I'm uncomfortable with because I yeah. do like self-inquiry and to understand the unfolding of something is certainly meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like, can we find the trauma piece that is yeah. the reason you are this way, to me seems like it's kind of a fixing mentality.
1: Yeah, true. I like to think about the origins of these things and more even not just like on an individual level, but on like a collective level level because I'm like, well, I've seen a lot of subs. Most of them are men. Why is it that they come to me with these certain taboo fetishes? And I started to really think about it. I'm like, maybe it's something much larger than oneself, right? Because a lot of these desires that we have are subconscious. It's not like, you know, my sub wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm going to have a small penis humiliation fetish thing. I just, I'm going to start a day. I'm going to call Colette up and say we're going to do this. It doesn't really happen like that. It's a subconscious, unconscious desire that comes up. And one of the theories that I have is that it's actually part of the collective unconscious. Like the fetishes that a lot of my subs want to explore, I think stems from this collective unconscious male fear, right? Small penis humiliation. I feel like that comes from just our patriarchal society and conditioning that you need to have a big cock to be masculine or a man or cuckolding, right? The idea that your partner is humiliating you and saying that there's somebody else that they're more attracted to and has a bigger cock and can make them come better and more than you can, right? Like all of those things, I think that's like the fear of most men in society And then something happens for a few of us who want to explore the worst thing that could have happened to any man, right? And find a way to eroticize it, get off on it, have fun with it and play with this with somebody else. I think that's an incredible way to confront the male unconscious collective fear and get off on it and make it something that could actually arouse you, excite you, and you have full control over this context.
0: It's funny just as you are bringing up the collective unconscious, I notice Young's red book sitting there underneath a red apple oh, on right. the top on the top of your bookshelf there.
1: Good eye. Uh,
0: there it is. Yeah, I think that there's a sublimation of pain into pleasure. Like that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And that's when people are saying, oh, it's trauma or whatever. But it's like, if you're a a child or I guess at whatever age that this is happening and -hmm. you're feeling a lot of pain or you're feeling a lot of humiliation and psychologically you can sublimate that into something that feels good, Mm -hmm. it's a way of coping with the experience. And so I think that there are a lot of people who do have kinks that seem to really make a lot of sense considering their childhoods. Mm I just don't feel like our goal should be to heal the kink. That's something that I, for me right. personally, it's no. like, I don't think healing the kink is the goal here. I, I think, think the goal letting is- the
1: kink heal you is the goal.
0: Wow, that's, that's a great tagline for the whole episode. <laughs> 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 Having the kink heal you is the goal. Rather Oof. than
1: healing the kink. That is
0: having the kink heal you is the goal. I really like that.
1: Now, you know, you've popped up that question in my mind of why are so many of your friends seeing me and becoming pro-doms? And so I'm just been noodling on it more. And I think that that's kind of one of the reasons why I think a lot of your friends who are healers want to be pro-doms is that they see the healing alchemy of kink. And I think they all have a deep intuition that this is the next Space and edge to explore to further their healing work either on themselves or for those around
0: them. And you are their mistress trainer,
1: their educatrix.
0: They're educatrix. And not only have you been in the world of kink 20 years, but you also have a PhD in education. So you really are equipped to help people. And I understand you got your PhD studying misconceptions and conceptual change. Mm-hmm. In terms of your study, how do we correct misconceptions generally? And then how is kink in a sense a tool for that when it comes to one's relationship to the self?
1: So my work is connecting misconceptions and conceptual change. And that's misconceptions is actually like the way into conceptual change. When I was at UC Berkeley studying misconceptions, it wasn't in relation to kink or sex work or anything like that, it was actually connected to science, people's misconceptions and and different topics of science, specifically evolution. And so I looked at children's misconceptions about evolution and how to overcome it, how to teach young children the concepts of natural selection evolution, which the school national standard says is impossible. And so we found a way to teach second and third graders the underpinnings of natural selection. I didn't think at the time when I was getting my PhD that any of this work would cross over into kink. I was trying to keep the two worlds as separate as possible. But it wasn't until much later when I got outed by my sister to my mom as a dominatrix. And so I hid this from my mom for about a decade of my life and I thought I could take it to her grave. But when she found out, I realized that my family, my sister, my mom, my stepdad, they all had a lot of misconceptions about kink, sex work, and alternative sexuality. And so I made it my personal goal from that point on. I was like, oh, the reason why they have all these misconceptions is because i never told them about what this is, what this world is. And so the more honest, radically honest I could be about who I am and what I do, I could dispel these misconceptions. Just by showing up and saying that I'm a dominatrix, people are like, whoa, really? I somehow thought a dom would be not so soft-spoken and sweet and would be much more, I don't know, intimidating. And so just by showing up, I think I could, dispel a lot of misconceptions about what kink is. And in relation to the alchemy and transformation that people experience in kink, I think that a lot of the work of kink is about dispelling one own one's own misconceptions about themselves. In particular, their limiting beliefs of what they think is possible. They, I think, you know, may have some misconceptions about how big and wild they could dream and how that actually can come true. And so one may stay small and play it safe, thinking that this is the only way that you could get what you want. Or maybe you don't get what you want. You have to lie about it or you have to just keep things compartmentalized or you can't dream that big and wildly. And so I I think how I dispel misconceptions is by showing that you can have it all. You can realize your wildest dreams, but you just have to do the work. And part of that work is exploring, examining, and expressing your truth.
0: Let's role play for a moment. Okay. I am a client. Mm -hmm. Who am I? if I am a client of a dominatrix? Is there a general kind of person who comes? It sounds like you mainly work with men and the people that you train mainly work with men, although I imagine it could be various.
1: Yeah, no. Tell me
0: about who I am if I am a client coming to see you.
1: Typically men do come to see me, but there are also women, couples, queer, non-binary, trans, but typically men. And I think if I were to try to generalize things, then I would say it's usually someone who has reached a certain age, middle age or so, and realize that there's so much more to life than what they've experienced. You know, it could be that they thought that they did everything right. They got the safe, prestigious job. They had the family, they have the white picket fence, the wife, children, all of that. And somehow they're still feeling like there's something more and that these desires that they held on to for a really long time and haven't got to express needs to be expressed. And so I think it's someone who is curious is probably the most important quality, I would say, for all kinksters. If you're kinky, you are curious. If you're curious, you probably will explore kink at some point and i would say it's someone who wants to surrender and experience the joy and bliss and excitement of letting somebody that they are attracted to that they look up to adore admire and having giving complete power to them to just experience whatever it is that she wants you to experience
0: The stereotype I have in my mind Mm -hmm. of a man who would come and see a dominatrix would be someone who's very successful professionally and is typically in a very dominant role in their personal life, often Mm -hmm. excelling, likely surrounded by a lot of people who say yes to them, Mm -hmm. who can't seem to surrender because of the structure of their life and goes to someone like you to say, in a sense, psychologically overpower me. Mm-hmm. make me surrender. That's my stereotype, that's yeah. what I imagine it to be. Is that an often, yeah. is that often the case? I
1: think that's a common stereotype and I think there's a reason why it is a stereotype. I think it's true. I think it's someone who is desiring that surrender and think that typically from why this like stereotype exists, I my theory is that we have this like internal compass within us that's always striving for balance. And when your everyday life is too extreme in one end, if you're constantly in control, calling the shots and everybody's looking to you for the answers, then you're going to subconsciously, unconsciously have these desires to go and experience the other end of it. And I've noticed in my own experience especially during grad school in the moments of studying for my qualifying exams or writing my dissertation, I was like, why is it now that I'm having medical play fantasies as a patient and having some doctor like put me in some socially compliant situation? I'm like, huh, it's always in the moments of stress, always in the moments of having to like be on top of my shit. Do do I have these fantasies and any other time in my life, it's not there. And so that's why I came up with this theory that we're just intuitively seeking balance. And when things are completely out of balance in our everyday life, then your subconscious fantasies and desires will push you in the direction of finding that balance. And it's like exploring the other extreme end to to find that equilibrium.
0: Okay, so I come to you and Mm -hmm. I'm so stressed out. And I'm Mm -hmm. running this company, let's call it a startup, we're in the Bay Area, I'm running a startup Mm -hmm. and I am just pressure all day, everybody's looking to me and I am just, I come to you because my friend told me that this would be a potentially transformative experience for me. Mm -hmm. How how does something like this start? Is there an intake form? Is Mm -hmm. there a conversation?
1: Well, there is an intake form. Typically, there's either you reach out to a prodom via email or they have a application form that you fill out and submit and then from there they will vet you to make sure that you're uh, somebody that they feel safe seeing and that might require a consultation call where you chat with them for a while or even have a coffee date and then that's when they really get to know you. They get to know your experiences, your lack of experiences, your desires, your limits, your medical limitations. Once a dom has a full sense of your hot buttons, sweet buttons, and boundaries, and you feel ready, then you play.
0: So... I dom recreationally Mm -hmm. and part of why I do so is flow state, Mm -hmm. creativity. It's romantic for me too. So there's a component of a deep commitment to someone and it's like art for me. But I feel like if it were a job, then... I wonder if it would get tedious. I wonder if it would still feel creative. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you in the work that you've done, in the women that you work with, does it feel very creative? Is there kind of a burnout of the creativity of the Mm -hmm. experience of creating something that's tailored to different people? Yeah,
1: I think it's definitely always creative. And I think the burnout happens when that spark of creativity is gone. When you feel like you're taking on more sessions than you want to when you're seeing the people that don't really energize you and excite you. But I think it is a creative endeavor. And I think that what makes it so exciting is that every session that happens is a completely new adventure if you want it to be. Of course, there will be rituals and certain things that you may want to keep on doing as the pillars and certain dynamics with your subs. But I think for a lot of my subs, they love seeing themselves be pushed and find out. And they're always asking, like, what is it that you want to explore that we haven't done before? And they always want to explore that edge. And so I think that's where all the creativity is in exploring the unknown together and seeing how both of you can find your flow. It's like a dance. And yeah, and I think there were definitely times when I felt like I... was experiencing burnout and it was because I took on more sessions than I probably should have. I saw a lot of people and not everyone was energizing. And so I took a break for a really long time and only saw the regulars that I really loved.
0: And have you had regulars for 20 years? Do you have people that you've been seeing for a long period of time?
1: Yeah, I've had subs for as long as I've started my work. So I have some subs that I've seen for 19 years now.
0: So I'm putting myself back in the place of like, I'm coming to see you. Mm -hmm. Am I coming to see you almost like a therapist that I see every week for an indefinite Mm -hmm. period of time? Or am I seeing you as a specialist to help me correct a certain thing and I'm seeing you for a couple of sessions? How does Mm -hmm. that usually play out?
1: I think it varies. It feels like I have uh, regulars who see me because they just, the fantasies are building up and they want to indulge in that. And so it could be like every other week, every three weeks are probably the most frequent regulars that I've seen in the past I've had subs that I saw every week and I think that was a little bit too much for me so now I like to scale it back to like at least every other week. I've had some subs who like to call me their therapist and they actually want me to analyze them and categorize them into something but I uh, veer away from that. I don't see myself as trying to put someone in a box and describe them that, oh, they're like this and this. It's just like everyone is really unique. And yeah, there may be some running threads across subs, across masochists and subs slash masochists. Yeah, I think I just see them as individuals. It's kind of a pansexual way of approaching it, I guess.
0: So I opened by saying, I got all these friends. They're becoming yeah. prodoms. They're all women. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between a dominatrix and a male pro-dom. Why is it that all of these women are becoming pro-doms, but all of these men are not? They seem to be very different beasts. A, mm. a masculine mm-hmm. dom versus a femme dom seem to be doing kind of different things. My yeah. experience of a lot of the males in my life who are in that role, it's, it's more like relationships. And a lot of the women, it's more kind of a professional thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even sure exactly how to ask this question, but I want to explore the difference between essentially what I do and what you do Mm -hmm. because they feel very different to me.
1: Yeah. I think the reason why there's so many pro-doms or dominatrixes out there as opposed to there's not too many professional doms as in male doms. And I think the reason is that There's more of a demand for a female dom that's professional because like for typically most women, if they want to experience being submissive, they could ask their male partner and they would indulge, right? But for most men who want to experience being submissive, if they ask their partners and their partners aren't kinky, they may be judged by their partner their partner might not look at them the same way if they asked if they were asked to you know dress them up and fuck them in the ass right i think that there's more risks for men to feel judged or rejected if they were to ask that from their intimate partners and so they seek a professional dom who can hold space for them in this way, create a safe container for them to explore the wide range of fantasies and fetishes that they want to indulge and know that there's no judgment at all. There's no repercussions of their their long-term relationship faltering. And so I think that's the reason why it's societal conditioning It makes it easy for a woman to ask for these things to, to feel submissive from their partner, but it's asymmetrical for a man to ask that from their female partner. They may risk being judged.
0: Do you think if there was no patriarchy, there would be a different need for sexual fantasies to play out?
1: I don't think there would be as many pro-doms in the world. Professional female dominatrixes. Yeah, I think it would be a little bit different.
0: Do you think that less women would want to be pro-doms if we were not in a patriarchal structure?
1: Oh, uh, I think they would still want to explore it because it's such a cool, modern, divine feminine archetype to embody.
0: Do you experience your romantic life from a perspective of kink?
1: Not as much as my partner wants, I'm sure. And I think it's probably because I like playing different roles that are counterbalanced to my dom self and so I have a lot of other characters I want to play out in our space and it's not kinky in the way of power exchange yeah
0: that's another reason why I wouldn't want to be a pro dom is I feel like when you take something that you love and make it what you do for work then you will love it as the thing you do for work but it stops sort of being your hobby that you do recreationally right
1: yeah I think that's true at least for myself
0: I like it as a hobby for me. It's better Mm -hmm. as a hobby for me. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about the energetics of polarity in kink, Mm -hmm. what it means to create a container, what it means to push someone to their edges, to understand their soft edges, to understand their hard edges. For the listener who has not explored kink themselves, some of these topics might seem a little esoteric. I would love to hear how you... Conceptualize the kind of art versus science of kink and these kind of structures that you create in your workspace for an audience who might not have had the experience of creating or being in a container like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Wait, so what's the question?
0: <laughs> I'm dancing around it. I'm trying to make it not a basic question where it's like, "Tell me how to build a container." But oh, um, I see. But what? Okay, here's what I'm getting. And by the way, thank you. <laughs> I like when you help me have more clarity. It's interesting because we're we're entering a territory that I want you to lead me on, but okay. how could you lead me? I'm literally interviewing you. I'm supposed to lead you. So it's kind oh, of a fun okay. It's, it's kind of a funny little thing where I'm just like I'm gonna try again. Talking about power dynamics. Okay. What is a power dynamic between two people and what is the point of it? What does it do? And how do you hold it with good stewardship?
1: I think a power dynamic is an interaction that's happening in almost every in every instantiation of like two people, right? There's somebody initiating the action and someone receiving it. All right. You're the one asking the question. You're the interviewer. I'm the interviewee. You're the speaker. I'm the listener. I'm the teacher. You're the student. And I think the dom and the sub is just a very extreme instantiation of a power dynamic because the dom is obviously the one initiating action and the sub is the one receiving it. And so I think like the DS dynamic is really just making the everyday dynamic more obvious. This is happening in every situation. That's what makes the world go round. It's the interplay of opposites. Right? Here's my... Theory of what kink is, I think BDSM is a highly densely symbolic art and practice of making the unconscious conscious. Everything inside the dungeon is a metaphor and a symbol of what's happening outside the dungeon that we're not conscious of. But if we become conscious of it, like we are in, in the dungeon or in kink, then we will be able to navigate the world with so much more power. Because it's always in the moments the unconscious moments that you lose your power, you give away your power because it's an unconscious act of giving it away or losing it. But in the dungeon, the sub has as much power as the dom because they are consciously choosing to let go, to give their power to someone. And by dint of giving your power to someone, that means that you know that you actually have that power to begin with.
0: I would say in my personal life, the sub has way more power than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't even call myself a service top, but I would say that the whole experience is guided by the sub and the dynamic for me. It's all about learning them and mm-hmm. the joy of learning them and learning where all their sort of edges are mm-hmm. and then kind of nudging in certain ways. But they're always running the show because I'm constantly attuned to them mm-hmm. in every moment. And they are not consciously running the show because part of the point of their experience is they're surrendering but they're cueing me into various things through the way that they behave and through various conversations and and how i've come to understand them and the journey of excavating their psyche in the context of of bdsm and and role play is is very invigorating and enlivening for me yeah but i'm in service to that and I guess in a sense I'm exploring my psyche too with them but since I'm the one holding the container I'm the one who has the fundamental responsibility for the safety of both parties
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense so you've never really had the experience of like somebody submissive just telling you that you could do anything are you always feeling like you are conscious of where their limits are and what their sweet spots are
0: I feel like kink is a vehicle where I can express myself yeah. but only with extreme impeccability. I, I mean if someone is like just do anything that you want to do mm-hmm. I guess that that's a little bit confounding for me because first of all I, I, I don't have kink experiences with someone I've just met. I have my right. own onboarding process. Right. So there's things that I need to know because I, I need a container in which to behave in the way that I wish to behave right. and and I need to co-create that with someone so right. I need to understand them to make it. So Even if someone is like, I want you to do whatever you want, that's already going through the matrix of how I've already created the container that would even get them to say that.
1: Right, exactly, true, yep. Mm -hmm.
0: I do think that subs have more fun. (laughs) You
1: think subs
0: have more fun? It just seems like it'd be really fun to just be able to completely let go.
1: Well, why don't you experience that? If you think they have more fun and you're doing the work that's not as fun as a sub, then it's probably a sign that you should experience okay. well, it's being not, a sub.
0: It's not that it's not as fun. It's very fun. It's fun in the way that it's fun to be an artist. Yeah. It's a different kind of fun. With a sub you get like hypofrontality and you get to go to subspace. I've never been to subspace. It seems great when I see it. Yeah. But for me I'm more like a painter. I'm making a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I love the process of creating it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm deeply devoted to the person that I'm doing it with. Otherwise right. I wouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like I get to watch them just completely collapse into some sort of blubbering organism that is just so happy and stimulated at the same time. And yeah. I, I, on my end, it's not like that for me.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah, no, I think that there is a qualitative experience between being in subspace and then there's top space as well. I'm sure you get the high from being able to control the situation and see that you have this power over someone and you can turn them into a puddle of... Goo if you want to. And so there's a different kind of eye that we experience as DOMs, I think. And I do think you should probably experience being a sub. It might be good for you. And it could be good training for you as a Dom.
0: For now, I am not actually being <laughs> the greatest host. Because <laughs> I'm doing exactly what I told you I wasn't gonna do. You're and I want return... to return.
1: slapped. I know I'm supposed
0: <laughs> to get slapped. I want to return to using this idea of alchemy I want to return to the power of kink and Mm -hmm. what you are giving the people who come and see you for me kink has been alchemical in the sense that it it has liberated me from shame it has Mm -hmm. made me more expressed it's made me a more confident person I think it's made me a safer man I think it's Mm -hmm. made me better at communicating I think I think good kink education is great for consent for example yeah um What kinds of transformative qualities do you see in the people who come and see you?
1: I think it's so many aspects to kink being alchemical, but I think it is this thing where you are alchemizing pain into pleasure, submission into power, bondage into freedom. You're working with all of these things that we typically run away from consciously and now you're manipulating it in a way where you're like, how can I find freedom and bondage, power and submission? And when you can, it's like you have stopped running away from this one thing that you think you should be avoiding and you're embracing it. You're embracing all of what life has to offer. And I think that what makes kink so transformational is that it's a embodied act and practice of learning how to let go. And for me, the aha moment of why kink is such a powerful modality and practice came from a moment of being high and contemplating why is it that I am Buddhist and a lot of my subs that I know are Buddhists and what's the relation between like my spiritual bent on Buddhism and kink? And so I started writing out the letters of Buddhism, B-U-D-D-H-I-S-M. And then I started circling the letters B-D-S-M in Buddhism. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, BDSM is just this modern edgy practice of Buddhism. It's taking all of the tenets of buddhism and putting it into practice in a really modern edgy aggressive way and it's learning how to let go in in all modalities and you know when you see a therapist or you talk to a friend and they tell you oh you'll get over that just you just got to learn how to let go and you can't just let go mentally and conceptually of things you have to learn how to let go i think mentally physically psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And kink allows you to have that experience where it's like hitting all parts. It's your brain, your heart, your cock, your pussy. It's all of it. And I think that that's what makes kink so powerful. It's an aggressive meditation on learning how to let go. Letting go of your layers, your ego. I think it's also... Uh, a practice of ego death both for the dom and for the sub every time you strip yourself of your everyday role and identity and play a new part or when you yeah just choose to be whomever your dom wants you to be in that moment you're learning how to strip all these layers of your ego and I think that's also a Buddhist conscious Act.
0: Okay, so we're going to role play again. Okay. <laughs> I'm no longer the client. Okay. Now I am a student. I am a student who has come to train with you. Who would I be if I was coming to learn from you?
1: I would say it's typically a woman or femme who is ready to either reclaim her power or find her power And she knows that by exploring being a dominatrix, she'll be able to be in touch with that power, step into it. And so I think it's someone who intuitively knows that by exploring the dominatrix archetype and practice, they will inevitably feel the power that they know is is inside them could have been hidden through conditioning or shame or guilt. And they're ready to let go of that shame and guilt and play with this whole other side of themselves that is just waiting to come out.
0: Do you feel, do you prefer the kind of class format or one-on-one like Mm. is. I am just fumbling over my questions today. I want you to know that I'm usually better at this. Oh,
1: I think you're fine.
0: I mean, the conversation is good, but the actual like the moments when I'm trying to frame something, I'm not usually this stumbly. Oh,
1: I I I see. Are you self-conscious? Yes. Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting. There's (laughs) Well, we were talking about the power dynamic. Yeah. And it's an interest. There's a power dynamic. I can feel it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was just posting about this on my reel today, how the Dom is subconscious and the sub is self-conscious. So in any situation where you are feeling self-conscious, you become the sub because your attention is directed inwards. You're thinking, oh my God, I'm fumbling over my questions, right? You've become conscious of yourself. And so by dint of being self-conscious, you fall into the submissive role.
0: Damn. I mean, honestly, I don't want to be like, I'm usually better at this. I'm usually way more in my dom when I'm doing an interview. Like I'm very much leading and I'm noticing myself. I'm ready to ask you a question. (laughs) And I have where I'm kind of want to go. And usually my brain will do the thing where it will be quite assertive and linear. And I'm kind of like, like, do you like when the alchemy is... Alchemical? <laughs> and you're like, what? What are you doing, dude? Stop trying to show off. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask you whether you prefer groups or one on ones, but that's not even that great of a question. Um,
1: <laughs> I love the
0: self-flagellation that you're doing. Is there some self-flagellation in your practice? Do you make them whip themselves? <laughs> no,
1: no. I mean, I, I think yeah. it just happens by like whatever it is that, that you're feeling and doing to yourself.
0: So maybe we should go back to the question I was trying (laughs) to ask you. This is what I was saying before we started recording us. I was like, I want there to be space for it to get weird.
1: Oh yeah, I'm down for the weird. Yeah. How do you want to go there?
0: I think we have. Okay, great. I mean, it feels weird to me. (laughs) I don't mean like performatively weird. I just mean that I I feel uncomfortable.
1: Oh, good, good. Okay, then I'm doing my job right.
0: Yeah, and I felt uncomfortable the whole time and I didn't know why (laughs) because we're friends. We don't see we haven't seen each other in years but I trust you you've got a killer vibe like we're good Yeah. and somehow I'm like not I'm not in my dom in this interview and and it took me until you know almost to the end
1: to to realize (laughs) that
0: have you have you noticed that energetically while we've been talking at all
1: um I think only in the moments when you felt self-conscious yeah, and you're just saying, hey, my questions aren't that great right now. And I was just like, oh, that's when... It's only in the moments when you were like expressively self-conscious that I could pick up on it. Otherwise, I would just think that your questions are always a little bit hard to pin down. <laughs>
0: They're typically not. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh gosh <laughs> I'm trying to get my bearings about me so when you teach a class well we could talk about that what I wanted to do is I wanted to shift from the perspective of your relationship to a client to your relationship to a student yeah yeah um, I'd love that and you do a mistress class and mm-hmm. so I feel like there's a value in a coven as yeah. it were Yeah, for a learning environment yeah. would you say that that's, that that's helpful in terms of teaching BDSM
1: Yeah. I mean, we just had a coven night two nights ago in the full moon and it does feel like a coven of witches and Dom sisters. And hmm, what's the question again? (laughs) That's the environment in which it feels...
0: Yeah. Do you feel like it's particularly efficacious to do kink education in the con? Because I'm doing a one-on-one thing. Yeah. um, And I'm curious how you feel about... I assume you've done private coaching...
1: I've done that before and I actually find the large groups to be really exciting and I think it's because what's happening is that every time I've done, this is the fifth time I've ran mistress class and it's always been around like 80 to over 100 women and fems. Joining the class and the first time when I opened the class, 111 women and fems enrolled, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is so large! What am I going to do? How is it going to be intimate if it's going to be this big?" When I thought it would only be a turnout of like 30 people, but I realized that you can have a class as large as you want, and it's about how you create that container of intimacy and vulnerability. And so I opened up the class with being really vulnerable, sharing my deepest shame and stripping myself of all those layers of shame and revealing myself to them. And that just created this container of like seeing that there's so much power in your vulnerability. And so the women and femmes mistresses in the class, they share themselves so openly and the sisterhood that's created through the class, the connections that are made that are either in discord or also in the graduation party where they meet in person. It's their enduring friendships and connections. And I think what's so beautiful is that every single time I do this, a community is being built, a sisterhood that is like a place where all the misfits, outsiders, and weirdos and perverts get to come to and feel like, oh my God, this is home and I thought I was the only weirdo or the black sheep and here they are being supported all by each other. And so many of the women and femmes who come into this class, they're going through some major life shifts and transformations in their life, either from choosing to do this course, some kind of ripple effect happens and they're like, oh my God, I just ended my relationship of nine years. Okay. I just quit my job. They're in this in-between liminal unknown space. And I think that it's no coincidence that a lot of major shifts happen when they come into mistress class because they're choosing to do something radically different and it just has a ripple effect into their life. And they feel so deeply supported by each other to confront like what may feel like the dark night of the soul tower card moments and know that we're all going through it or we have gone through it and we know that this isn't you veering off course, but you're right on track to realizing your wildest fantasies. It just means that you have to confront your shadow, your edges, your insecurities. It's everything. When you want to realize your wildest power, your wildest dreams, you will be confronted on your path of everything that you've been afraid of. And when you could confront it, become intimate with it, dissolve it, and have it become a part of you, That's you reclaiming your power, finding your power. And by the time you realize your wildest dream, you have cultivated this well of power that no one could take away.
0: Well, that's a great answer for why so many of my friends are becoming doms lately.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And you were talking about community and it's funny, I have a friend in Denver who's a pro-dom. And I have friends, I have some friends in New York who's a pro-dom and now they're friends with each other because they're pro-doms and completely unrelated communities. Uh And it seems like the witches are finding each other.
1: Yeah. That's what it feels like. I think like maybe on even a larger level as to why there's so many of your friends and women out there who want to become pro-doms is I think it's our time. It's our time to be outwardly expressive of our badass powers. It's a great time to be a witch. It's a great time to be a dominatrix, to be a woman in power. And I think that something is going to shift and happen and, and possibly even unravel in our patriarchal structure because so many women are finding their power.
0: How can we help?
1: How can we help?
0: How can we? I'm speaking for the men's.
1: For the men. (laughs) I'm speaking
0: for the men folk. (laughs) Aside from being your clients and learning (laughs) submission, which I think is actually probably part of how we can help. Right, um, yeah. How can we be supportive to this growing storm of witches?
1: I think it's just suspending your judgment and being curious and open to all of this. I think that the more that we could eradicate shame and stigma about kink and alternative sexuality and the more that everyone, men, women, non-binary folks, just explore themselves and their relationships with others without shame or judgment. That's how you can further this cause of creating a world where more women can find their power and explore these roles as dominatrix and the more that we can really honor the divine feminine power. And I think it's about seeing that power can be completely defined in another way. And it's not through the patriarchal conditioning that we thought what power was and that power can be soft. Power can be expressed with a soft voice. Power can be collaborative and cooperative and i think in the patriarchal structure of things power feels very competitive it's a doggy dog situation and you have to fight for your power but i think what's happening in what i see in mistress class is that divine feminine power looks like cooperation and collaboration and supporting each other and it's because we don't have a a scarcity mindset. And I think that's what the patriarchal structure conditions in us that, that there's not enough for everyone. And what's so radical and exciting about these spaces that we're creating in mistress class and beyond is that it's a world of abundance. I share all of my subs that I think are the best with the mistresses. They get to connect with them. They get to chat with them and play with them. They get to experience what an awesomely devoted veteran sub feels like. And that just completely dispels their misconceptions about aspects of themselves as a dom or who a sub is. And I just see so much love and support and collaboration and just there's no gatekeeping. There's just wanting everyone to experience what this amazing world looks like and that's the reason why i love creating something like mistress class or training women to become doms because becoming a dom was the most life-changing choice that i made it was the greatest life hack that i ever came upon i was like this is the greatest hack that any woman or femme can stumble upon and so when anyone wants to become a dom i'm like oh my god let me show you because I want your world to be rocked and turned around and blown open by what's possible. And through that experience of being a dominatrix, you realize, holy fuck, there's a whole nother world out there. There's all these people and men who want to adore you and worship you and shower you with love, affection, things from your wish list, all of that. It's a really special world that we're creating And it happens every time a woman realizes her power as a dom.
0: Damn. That was good. That's a nice end for us, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you nailed it. Okay, great. Um, (laughs) For folks who are listening, you do have a mistress class Mm -hmm. coming up in the spring.
1: Yes. I think I'm going to create something completely different. I've been doing mistress class like for five seasons now. And I think I might create something that is even more close to how I learned how to be a dom. So I'm creating the shadow series. Oh, I like spring.
0: that. Yeah. Is that just for fems?
1: No, I think I might even open it up for men and even subs. I think I'm going to try to find a way to make it so that the doms get what they need and the subs do. And there might be some space for them to play.
0: So, Well, if this conversation has showed me anything, it's that you have <laughs> something to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds really intriguing. And I also just love shadow stuff. So anytime mm-hmm. you use shadow, I'm like, oh, yeah. that sounds alchemical. Um, A <laughs> little bit of Red Book. If folks are excited and interested and not sure if they want to take that degree of a plunge are there resources that you would suggest or other ways that they could connect with you if someone's heard this podcast and they're like I'm in but I'm not really in I just need to find out more I want to connect more
1: yeah I think finding me on my social media and Instagram is a great place to kind of dive into this world I'm sharing a lot more of my wisdom and ideas and thoughts and this world so you could just have this voyeur experience of it and once that curiosity is peaked then you could go deeper my website is privet.com and it's a rabbit hole so that you could go down
0: well, and we shall have all of that in the show <laughs> notes Colette, thank you for indulging me. Oh my gosh,
1: that was so much fun. I <laughs> and, like seeing you squirm.
0: I know. <laughs> uh, it's experiential. <laughs> this is an experiential podcast. This is why we don't do video. <laughs> <laughs> it really has been a pleasure. And it's an honor to speak with you. You are very much a leader in a space that is increasingly important to people. And honestly, everyone I know who is a femme Dom. Has worked with you. So (laughs) it meant that that I want to know more and I want to continue to know more. So thanks for coming on the show and may this be the beginning of an ongoing conversation.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And for sure, I think we should have a part two and it could be even more interactive. (laughs) All right.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you liked the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show, and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show, and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at Patreon lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival, and I'll see you on the dance floor.